What is going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another podcast episode of the Giants 1. Yes, that's the third time that has happened this season. The Giants, within the last six games, are, what, 3-3? Three and three? So, now, the record's 3-6 and six after the 0-3 start. So, is the turn in the right direction? Possibly. I'm not going to get my hopes up just yet, but if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or a video drops. That's if you're on YouTube, if you're on Spotify, Podbean, all those other platforms, please follow. So, just some opening thoughts before we go into everything because at the end I'm going to talk about the remaining schedule. I know I usually do it on the bi-week episodes, but I do want to save a lot of good nuggets for uh, Saturday's episode, which I hope to get a content creator on. If not, then I'll explain it myself, and hopefully you guys uh, can still watch and listen to it. But with that being said, just some opening thoughts. The defense, man, Xavier McKinney, he has been a baller this season at points. And I know... Us Giant fans like to somewhat degrade, um, you know, different plays. Obviously, his first two interceptions, they were really beaten down because of what the score was and what the situation was. Defense had short field after short field because the offense kept turning the ball over. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And McKinney had two interceptions that game, which... Once again, we're beaten down, garbage time, however you want to call it. But both plays were good plays. They're not, oh, well, McKinney gets beat and then the quarterback just underthrows it or something like that. No, McKinney made two nice plays. I believe one was off of a deflection. So now you got this game where it's it counts and he puts up seven for the Giants. And if that seven doesn't turn out to be a seven or let's just say he makes one tackle on Renfro and gets there a little late the Giants do not win this football game because let me tell you what I appreciate the win as a Giants fan it doesn't come often but this offense man we're gonna talk about it we'll talk about it but other than that the lack of pressure was a little irritating but Quincy Roche has been a steal. He's been a steal. And the Giants made O'Shane Zimenez a healthy scratch. Which, in my opinion, is a good thing. A, no stupid mistakes. B, he's garbage. <laughs> he's garbage. Lorenzo Carter, make him a healthy scratch. Danny Shelton, make him a healthy scratch. You got Raymond Johnson. You got Austin Johnson, who's doing a good job in the interior in the running game and we'll get some pressures on occasion um and then Quincy Roche and Aziz Ojolari let the rookies work same thing with Ellerson Smith let the rookies work and whether this season turns out to be oh the Giants are 9 and 8 or the Giants are 7 and 10 6 and 11 whatever the result is let the rookies work see what you have because guess what Danny Shelton's on a one-year contract. Carter's contract, Lorenzo Carter's contract, is up after this year. So you could cut him, 
do whatever. And O'Shane Zimenez was a third-round pick in 2019, so he has one more year left, but I don't think it's going to be much. It's not like, oh, it's, you know, Daniel Jones' fifth-year option if the Giants were to take it. It's not that. It's not. It's probably considerably cheap. And the Giants have way more problems in terms of cap space than just, oh, O'Shane Zimenez. No, doesn't work like that. And it's not like that. But it's frustrating that it takes so long for these types of coaches to recognize this stuff. And then when they do something extremely bad, shit hits the fan. And they're like, oh, well, he made a mistake, so we're going to bench him. O'Shane Zimenez... I'm talking about you, because he obviously stepped off sides, whether you say it's off sides or not, that's your argument, but whether he, you know, going back to the situation, stepped off sides, could have been the game-ending pick by Darnay Holmes, except it wasn't, and they kept moving down the field with a couple more penalties and all this other stuff, but a lot of what-ifs are anticipated, or I should say put into this team. I'm trying to find the right words here. Because what if Nate Solder wasn't the right tackle? What if Danny Shelton didn't get as much playing time as he has? What if this? What if that? There's a lot of what-ifs, and you're going to have that in football, but especially if you're a bad team. But let's go over the stats. We'll talk about some defensive plays in terms of, you know, Interception, fumble, this, that, and the other thing. We're not going to go into key plays because that takes a little while. Um, we're also going to team stats. We're going to some of the takeaways from the offense, the defensive side of the ball, into more of a specific standpoint. And then we'll talk about some stuff at the end. Uh, just to let you guys know, I do have a couple things hovering around it. So this may be open to possibly me not going but right now everything is on track but once again things are hovering around it so I have to make sure my affairs are in order but with that being said I will be going to the next Giants home game will be my first official NFL game first Giants game I went to two before but they were preseason games one was against the New York Jets in 2018 and one against the Chicago Bears in 2019 I will likely be with a group of content creators that will be there that's like parking lot L or something like that. I don't know. But I know a lot of people are excited for this game. I don't know that it means much because both teams do have three wins, even though they're battling for second place. But with that being said, not much is on the table for everything that happened in January with the Jalen Hurts, Nate Sudfeld situation. I'm pretty sure that has died off. If the Giants were a good team, maybe there would be some fire there. But we'll see. Eagle fans and Giant fans, they always like to clash. But with that being said, let's actually finally get to the stats. Derek Carr, he had a solid day, but he turned over the ball three times, so that's not good. But he was 30 for 46, 296 yards, 6.4 per throw. Not completed pass, but per throw. One touchdown, two interceptions, and only one sack. Take a look at the Giants, and I'm not happy about this. We'll talk about it more specifically with the offense. Daniel Jones, 15 for 20, 110 yards, 5.5 per throw, sacked twice in one touchdown. Kadarius Toney obviously had that one play where he could have thrown it, but he got sacked or 
as they will call it, a sack in the stat book. I look at the rushing game for Las Vegas. Josh Jacobs had a pretty solid day on the ground. 13 carries for 76 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. And then you have Kenyon Drake, who had four rushes for 30 yards, 7.5 yards per carry. Then Mariota had one for a first down, which I don't know how the Giants really didn't read it. And then Carr flushed out of the pocket twice. Take a look at the Giants rushing game, which was very good. It was a very productive day for the New York Giants. Devontae Booker, career highs. 21 carries, 99 yards, and 4.7 yards per carry, which is solid. And I've been thinking the last few weeks, why did the Giants let Wayne Gallman go, but they picked up Devontae Booker for $2 million? And I was searching, I was thinking, turns out that he spends the least amount of time in the backfield, which with a bad offensive line or a decent offensive line at best, he's just going to push through that hole. He's not like Saquon. I don't mean to rip Saquon here, but it's comparison time. Saquon is a home run running back. Bounces, he tries to find a hole. If he doesn't get one, he's going to try to find another hole, and sometimes that can be a one-yard gain or a five-yard loss. Now, Devontae Booker, he takes what he gets. Because he's just straight that north-south running back. Now, he can run off the edge. But what the Giants mainly use him for is just running north-south. So, he had a good day. Elijah Penny had five carries for 35 yards at seven per carry. And Booker exited with a hip injury. And he was able to return. I don't know if they actually put him on the field because the last couple of minutes was the Raiders on offense, so we really didn't get to see. But I just wasn't happy strategically. And once again, I'm nitpicking. I just wasn't happy strategically with, oh, well, we're going to have only two running backs active, Booker and Penny. Now, Gillespie did actually have one snap in the backfield. But... That was part of a two-fullback set, and Gillespie is mainly a special teamer. So it's not like, oh, Gillespie is going to be the head back if these two get injured. It doesn't make any sense. And this is the second time Joe Judge has done it. And the first time he did it was the second game of his coaching career, head coaching career, and Saquon Barkley got hurt. So he was stuck with Deion Lewis and Eli Penny. Wayne Gallman was inactive, so I don't know, but I'm nitpicking just something I would have done differently. Take a look at the Las Vegas receiving game. Darren Waller was the leading receiver, seven receptions for 92 yards. Kenyon Drake, as I said in the preview, you got to look for Kenyon Drake out of the backfield, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to nitpick all this, this, and this, whatever. But when they're playing too high safety and when they have their guys covered, like Renfro, Brian Edwards, Zay Jones, when those guys are covered, they're going to the outlet. Kenyon Drake was the second leading receiver with six receptions, 70 yards. So, you know, it's not uncommon against these powerful offenses. And with that being said, in two weeks when we face Tampa Bay, likely the same situation. Fournette may get a couple catches out of the backfield. Ronald Jones, the same thing. 
I don't know who's more the receiving back there, but that's going to be for the preview in about a week and a half. I think so. Um, Alec Ingold also hurdled Adoree Jackson, which he had a solid day in terms of receiving, but nothing too big, nothing too fancy. Adoree Jackson had a good day. For the Giants receiving game, Evan Ingram has stepped up to the plate in the last few games. May not be eye-clinching stats, but he's stepped up to the plate. Not really any drops, just a solid receiver, even though he's a tight end. Three receptions, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Now, I have a problem with the touchdown, but once again, that's going to be part of the offensive discussion. Kenny Galladay had two receptions, 28 yards. Devontae Booker had three catches out of the back for 23. Kyle Rudolph had four receptions for 20. And then Kadarius Tony, one reception for nine yards. When we talk about turnovers, before we get to the total on the defensive side of the ball, some guys that made tackles for a loss and stuff like that, Daniel Jones and Derek Carr did fumble one each. Daniel Jones had his forced by Yannick Ngakwe, and Matt Parrott really didn't have a good day. Derek Carr had his forced out by Quincy Roche. Recovered by Leonard Williams. I think Corey Littleton. No, it wasn't Corey Littleton. It was Darius Phylon recovered the fumble that Daniel Jones committed. Now you take a look at the defensive side of the ball in terms of stats. And I'm not saying, oh, this, 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 this. I'm just going to pick out four or five players who had some impressive stats. Now, I don't have pressures. I have quarterback hits. Nate Hobbs, he had a decent day, nothing too special. He also did have a holding penalty, but he had four tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss, and three quarterback hits, which is really interesting. Obviously, if some of you guys know, a sack doesn't count as a quarterback hit. And as I said in the preview, the Raiders really don't blitz a lot. So I guess it heated up on third down, or they just sent him. I don't know what the situation was. I would have to go back and watch. But three quarterback hits is impressive for a rookie corner. A fifth round pick, no less. Yannick Ngakwe had a big day. He was being evaluated for a concussion in the second half. He came back. Two tackles. Two sacks. One tackle for a loss. Two quarterback hits and a forced fumble. So we all thought Max Crosby was going to be the ultimate destroyer of the day. It actually happened to be Yannick Ngakwe. Max Crosby, though, he had three tackles and a tackle for a loss. I believe the tackle for a loss was on a screen pass. And if it wasn't that, it was a run to the outside to the right. Salmon Thomas also had two tackles and a quarterback hit. I believe it was on third down. And then Carl Nassib had three tackles. K.J. Wright with six. Corey Lidson with four. Each had a tackle for a loss. And you take a look at the Giants' side in terms of defense. Quincy Roche. Four tackles, one sack, two quarterback hits, and a forced fumble. Xavier McKinney, seven tackles, two pass deflections, two interceptions, and one touchdown. That being the pick six. And then Dexter Lawrence, six tackles and a quarterback hit. I'm surprised that Leonard Williams did not get a quarterback hit. But, you know, you'll have your good games. You'll have your bad games. I was just a little surprised that the Giants really didn't attack the offensive line a little more because Brandon Parker's not good. Other than Colton Miller, who actually had the holding penalty on Quincy Roche when he forced a fumble, other than Colton Miller, their guys aren't great. So it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. But let's talk about the team stats before we go into the offense, the defense, and some of the other stuff. 
The Raiders actually had 24 first downs compared to the Giants' 16. Now, passing first downs, they had 15. The Giants had 6. The Raiders had 8 rushing first downs. Giants had 8 as well. Giants had two first downs from penalties, one being that Nate Hobbs holding. And the Raiders had one first down from penalties. Third down, the Raiders were 4 for 12. The Giants were 6 for 12. That's about 50%. Then on fourth down, the Giants never went for it. And there really wasn't too many decisions, if any, that I disagreed with on fourth down. Maybe like one. But even then, they were on their own territory. But the Raiders did go for it on fourth once, and they got it. It was a six-yard rush by Marcus Mariota. In terms of total plays, the Raiders ran 67. Giants ran 54. The Raiders had 403 total yards. Meanwhile, the Giants had 245, which is not great. Take a look at the total drives. Both teams had 10 drives. And look at yards per play. The Raiders averaged 6 yards per play. The Giants 4.5. A key thing, you look at the red zone. The Raiders were 1 for 6. 0 for 5. After the first drive. Giants were 0 for 2. In terms of penalties, the Raiders had 6 for 65 yards. The Giants had 4 for 35. Raiders had 3 turnovers. The Giants had 1. Obviously the 1 defensive touchdown. Xavier McKinney pick 6. And then the Raiders actually... Lost the time of possession battle, but it wasn't even by a minute. The Raiders, 29-49 compared to the Giants, 30-11. So that is very interesting to me. Now let's break some stuff down. The Giants offense, and excuse me, but I'm going to nitpick a little bit here. Now, some of my stats aren't updated. I'll specifically lead into one. Um... This was about 3.11, 3.11 p.m. on Sunday that Jordan Rolland tweeted this out. He said the Giants are running ball well, and Daniel Jones has been pressured on 11 of his 18 dropbacks per next-gen stats. And I'll get to something in a bit, but let's go with some takeaways. Devontae Booker, Eli Penny, they carried the load nicely. I can't complain about that. But once again, the mentality. Giants passed on first down. Primarily on the first drive and then abandoned that game plan. And the rest it was rushing on first down, which tails on the fact that the Giants did not score a touchdown for the rest of the game, exclude the Xavier McKinney touchdown. Once again, I'm afraid of the losing mentality. I really am. And I don't know. Maybe it's just me nitpicking, but Something's got to change. Hopefully, it changes when Saquon Barkley, Andrew Thomas, and Sterling Shepard come back. Because after two weeks, all of them should be healthy. Tack on the time they missed as well. O-line bad in pass, bro, but good in run blocking. As I mentioned, Giants had 26 carries on the ground, 134 yards, and 5.1 yards per carry outside of Daniel Jones. And... I forget there was another rusher on the stat sheet. But it was Penny, it was Booker, 26 carries, 134 yards, and 5.1 yards per carry. Matt Peart didn't have a good day. He did not have a good day. Now, the forced fumble, you can argue, and I will argue, personally, that Daniel Jones should have stepped up in the pocket more. 
but he was not really having a good day. You know, uh, Yannick Nagakwe pretty much had a day against the former third-round pick. And what can I say about it? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yannick Nagakwe is not some bum signed from the, I don't know, Jets. He's been in this league for a while. He's known to get to the quarterback. And I'm not making excuses. Paired had a bad day. Let's put that into perspective, obviously. But the Giants have more invested in him than Nate Solder. And with that being said, he should be the starting right tackle after the Giants come back from the bye. If Andrew Thomas is healthy at left tackle. But Nate Solder really didn't have a bad day. He had an okay day. Not something all Pro Bowl performance, but you know, he had a solid day. Nothing to get anyone's underpants wet about. Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney, three receptions, 37 yards combined amongst the two of them. Darius Slayton, zero catches, zero yards. And one target, I believe. Evan Ingram, three receptions, 38 yards. And screens to Elijah Penny and Devontae Booker. I mentioned earlier in the podcast episode that I had a problem with the touchdown that was thrown to Evan Ingram. This is not on Ingram. This is not on Jones. But my God, we signed a receiver, a 6'6 receiver, to do those type of things. And he's running skinny posts and slants. And Jordan Ranan also said on Twitter earlier on Monday, Oh, well, you know, the Giants' offensive line, you know, they didn't give Daniel Jones time and they did this and that and the other thing. He made some other excuse different from this tweet. He was giving statistics in the tweet I read, but on Monday, he gave an excuse. Now, here's where I'm going to counter that. Derek Carr, obviously, before he had Henry Ruggs, who was one of his deep receivers, right? But also, let's not make excuses, because it's a next-man-up mentality. That's how you survive in sports. Derek Carr is one of the worst O-lines in the NFL. Last year, he had a better O-line. John Gruden and Mike Mayock absolutely butchered the O-line in the offseason. My personal opinion. They reached on Leatherwood. They traded Trent Brown. Traded Rodney Hudson. Traded Gabe Jackson. And look what you got now. Andre James. Well, I don't even know who the hell he is. Alex Leatherwood. Playing right guard. Right tackle Brandon Parker. Who is a subpar backup in this league. And then... Depth purposes and depth reasons I'm saying this because it's not all on them for the fact that Richie Incognito got hurt because he was a solid guard, has been for a while in this league. They have John Simpson starting at left guard. Now, I understand that to a certain point because he was, I believe, what, their fourth round pick last year? Now, why am I making these points? Because Derek Carr goes deep. Derek Carr, for the last two years, has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm going to say it. 
People used to criticize him. Oh, he takes the checkdowns, this and the other thing. What do you got to say about him now? Minus this one week, obviously. And quarterbacks have bad weeks. Daniel Jones had a bad week against the Rams. What do you got to say about it? You can't make excuses. Make excuses. You're not holding yourself or your team accountable. Or whoever you're talking about accountable. Oh, Daniel Jones. Bullshit. 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 The Giants have these. And it doesn't take too much time to throw a fade to Kenny Galladay. And we're not even talking about just going downfield. Slants for Kadarius Tony can work. And I always used to criticize, at least years later, the Ben McAdoo offense because it was mainly slants. Or that's what at least it was known for. I've come to somewhat appreciate that. And the reasoning behind that is slants you can get yards after catch, they can turn into big plays. For example, the OBJ game-winning slant touchdown against the Baltimore Ravens in 2016. Curls are one of the most useless routes in football. One of the most useless routes. It's my opinion. Might turn into a fact. Because if you can put evidence behind that fact, you know... You win the argument. And all you want to curl route is go up, turn around, and the defensive back is right up your ass. So what is the point of running a curl route? Just to get a, what, two-yard gain? It doesn't make any sense. And Jason Garrett, once again, really hasn't evolved. And I like the offense that we saw in week two. I like the offense that we saw in week four. Other than those two games, I can't really say that the offense was fully functional under Jason Garrett for some time. In the last two years. It's frustrating. And I know a lot of people out there, and I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter about this. Some people think Jason Garrett's untouchable because John Mara would fire Joe Judge if Joe Judge did something about Jason Garrett, meaning firing him. I'll counter that with this. Number one, let's say that is the case, right? Joe Judge needs to be a man and go out on his own terms. Because guess what? These players, as of right now, are playing for him. They're not Playing specifically, oh, I'm playing good because Jason Garrett, you know, he's my motivation. No, that is not what's happening. They are playing for Joe Judge because they believe in what Joe Judge is saying. They're hearing the words and it's not going one ear out the other. So in that situation, Joe Judge should have the smart idea... Of saying, Jason Garrett, you're fired. And we all know how Mara is. He lets things happen. And then he does something about it. Because we all know, 2017, Eli's benching. He signed off on that. He signed off on that. And then proceeded to fire Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo. That's the one thing he didn't get involved on. Which is unfortunate. But I keep 
waddling around the puddle here, what would happen? Joe Judge, he gets fired for firing Jason Garrett. And in that case, lose the locker room. Jason Garrett becomes the interim head coach. Possibly. I'm not saying all the way because Patrick Graham is the assistant head coach. But the players would be like, why did he just fire our motivator? And they would lose the locker room and the team would be bad. And then you'd have to fire a bunch of people and then Mara would be criticized for that move. And a lot of people think the same thing about Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager. Aaron Boone does not have a set of balls, even if he does make his own decisions. He doesn't have a set of balls, okay? I'm going to be blunt here. This is a podcast. This is a channel where the truth is told. No lies here. Aaron Boone does not have a set of balls, and he can't stand up to his players and tell them, you made this mistake. Instead, he coddles them like they're five years old. That's a problem with sports these days, but that's going to be such another topic, it's not even going to be funny. It's not even going to be funny, excuse me. I don't know why I just jumbled those words. But back to my point. That was number one. Point number one. Point number two is we see and have seen how conservative Joe Judge is. Go back to the Washington game. You could easily drain clock but execute on plays. The Giants just ran the football for two downs and then passed, incomplete pass to Sterling Shepard after the James Bradbury interception where they were gifted the game. They were gifted the game. Where they should have said to themselves, our defense has not been performing all game against Taylor Heineke. We should go in and try the touchdown that way We don't need to go out there and be scared because they need to score a touchdown, not just a field goal. That should have been the mentality. And the timeouts, those you can argue are very conservative, but in a very bad way. You just can't tell me that Joe Judge does not know what's going on. This is also his team it's not Dave Gettleman's team well it is but in terms of head coaching aspect this isn't Patrick Graham's team this isn't Jason Garrett's team this isn't Derek Dooley's team this is Joe Judge's team and if he wants them to play conservative they're playing conservative that's that oh man and to finish off first round picking Kadarius Tony. $72 $72 million over the next four years for Kenny Galladay. And you're telling me that you have no way of getting them involved. And don't give me this pitch count crap either. Because you know what the, the 49ers did? We can all agree, disagree, whatever. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch over there in San Francisco. That team is what, 3-5? and five? And even though he fumbled, George Kittle, who has not played all season... Got a lot of snaps and a lot of targets in the game against the Cardinals on Sunday. But for a guy who's been out two to three weeks, and Kadarius Tony, who really wasn't injured other than having his thumb stepped on, they don't get involved. And once again, this is not like, oh, well, the Raiders' defense, 
their pass defense is like second in the league. They don't have elite corners. They have solid at best. So I just don't understand how you don't take advantage of that. But this is what the Giants are. They're a conservative team. And we'll see how it plays out the next couple weeks when Andrew Thomas and Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard return. We'll see. Let's talk about the happy side of things, the defense. They didn't play very aggressive throughout the game. In my opinion, they played very conservative, but it played out. It played out, and Patrick Graham knew how to play his cards. That's why I'm not going to sit here and criticize the defense all that much. And they won the game for us. First drive, obviously people made their comments on Twitter. Oh, Patrick Graham, look at him now. Whatever, whatever, whatever. The rest of the game, they, I believe, punted twice, the Raiders. Obviously, that one stupid penalty by Keon Crossan. Whatever. People will have the reactions. That's not the point right now. They punted twice. And they did go into the red zone five more times after the first drive. Not once they score a single touchdown. This Giants defense is going back to what it was last year. Sure, you can argue, oh, they they went down the field, the yards, this and the other thing against a top offense. But did they score? Did they score a touchdown after the first drive? They, meaning the defense, Patrick Graham included because obviously he game-planned. Let them have their time. Let them have their way. The semi-big plays downfield, which was like 23 yards at best. But once they got in the red zone, he backed them into a corner. And that corner got smaller and smaller and smaller. To the point where, A, they turned it over on the last drive because Quincy Roche came off the edge like a speedster. And this guy's chunky a little bit. Maybe it's because he's wearing number 95. I don't know. Because usually you see linebackers like Aziz who are skinny and really don't have too much build to them like a defensive lineman or an interior lineman. But you have Quincy Roche who looks like B.J. Hill coming off of the edge, but obviously more productive. But going back to my point originally, you force a turnover there. Forced two other turnovers by Xavier McKinney having a good day. And you also have them miss a field goal. The shortest field goal miss of the season. Now you can argue that special teams, that's just the Raiders killing themselves, whatever. The defense, though at points they played not to lose, they played to win. They weren't always aggressive. Because there were... Always situations and scares where, oh crap, if we're too aggressive, we'll get beat on the back end for a big play. They played to not give up the big play. And once again, that's what the Giants' defense was last season. And guess what, folks? Patrick Graham made adjustments. Yes, Patrick Graham made adjustments. Jason Garrett hasn't adjusted since I graduated kindergarten. What can I say? What can I say? Some other takeaways. Xavier McKinney performed like the second round pick expected to be. And the second pick was interception as the deep center field safety. And guess what? And guess what? He saved James Bradbury's ass. 
on that play because he was beat with a double move, I believe, by Zay Jones, who is one of their top deep receivers in terms of making big plays. Now that's going to change because Deshaun Jackson signed with the Raiders. But McKinney, if he could play a little more consistently and the Giants can have an actual deep center field safety, you can play him like he was at Alabama and what made him to be a projected first-round pick actually taken in the second round. Makes ends me when Quincy Roche gets more playing time in a start. This is his second start, I want to say. O'Shane Zimmon is healthy scratch. Lorenzo Carter injured. Ellerson Smith slowly factoring in. He'll probably get snaps as we go like McKinney did last year. But this is what happens when you change those type of things. Quincy Roche is not a world beater. He's not a Kayvon Thibodeau. He's not a Miles Garrett. But when you're looking for a pass rush, specifically role players to be rotational pass rushers, this guy fits the mold. And thank you, Pittsburgh Steelers, for that. Thank you. Because it seems like the last couple of years we've been picking off Pittsburgh Steelers who've turned into okay role players. 2017, we traded for Ross Cockrell. He was a decent corner. 2019, we picked up Tuzar Skipper. James Betcher obviously loved his Arizona guys, so Skipper really didn't stay on the roster for a long, long time. And now this year, it's Quincy Roche. So you know what? Turns into a steal. Once again, the Giants still need a number one pass rusher, in my opinion. But you have the number one pass rusher, maybe Aiden Hutchinson next year out of Michigan. You have Aziz and you have Quincy Roche. And Ellerson Smith when he gets better. I can't see why they wouldn't perform up to par and this defense finally gets better and better and better when Patrick Graham is making adjustments as the league moves forward. As the league evolves, unlike Jason Garrett. And I know I've been picking on him a lot. Get a Dory Jackson some gloves, but the secondary is playing very nicely. Yeah, James Bradbury had an okay day. He got beat on a Hunter Renfro touchdown, but he made some nice plays against Darren Waller. One was almost a catch, but he made the play by going into the chest of Waller, which looked like... It wasn't a slant, but it was a similar route. And he stopped him on third down. Dory Jackson has been playing very good. Now, obviously, there's a hands issue there. But that's why he doesn't play wide receiver. Or else he would turn into Evan Ingram. But, solid corner. And I had my questions coming into the year. Oh, is Dory going to be good? This, this, and this. Well, the money is coming to be worth it. When was, the, when was the last time the New York Giants actually had a solid corner two? Eli Apple wasn't that. B.W. Webb wasn't that. DeAndre Baker really wasn't that. Ryan Lewis wasn't that. Isaac Yadam wasn't as good as Adoree. Corey Ballantine. The list goes on and on and on. The Giants have finally found... Their number two corner for the next two to three years. 
And just another thing. For outside receivers, now we're talk- not talking slot because Hunter Renfro obviously got some uh, receptions. What's his face? Help me out here. Darren Waller got some receptions, and Kenyon Drake had a couple of catches out of the backfield. Only one catch for outside receivers, that being Zay Jones and Brian Edwards. One catch on eight targets. You cannot not be impressed with the way the defense is playing, especially the back end. And as I said earlier, just cut Carter and Zimenez. You're not losing anything in there. You're gaining because you gain two roster spots to players that may be good for this team. But that's not going to happen, unfortunately. So now let's move into stock up, stock down. Stock up, Devontae Booker at a day, Xavier McKinney, Eli Penny, Dory Jackson, Quincy Roche, Evan Ingram, Austin Johnson. I thought Austin Johnson had a good game. Stock down. Matt Parrott and the rest of the O-line, excluding Nate Solder. Nate Solder had a solid day. Nothing too much to harp about. Because the Giants don't have a lot invested in him. For right now, in terms of the future, he's not the future right tackle. Kind of like complimenting Corey Cunningham if he played well right tackle. I know it's horrible to make that comparison but Solder has one good game every four games I apologize for hiccuping Daniel Jones obviously the fumble hurt the fumble hurt and the defense did the job by holding the Raiders to three points I just feel like maybe it's me but I feel like there was more to be desired I understand there was only 20 passing attempts. There was only 20 plus the two sacks, plus a couple other things. But, I don't know. I just feel like Daniel could have played better. Once again, the game plan was garbage. Except for the running part. In terms of, you know, Devontae Booker getting 21 carries, 4.7 yards per carry. That's good. The Raiders were one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. But the Giants game plan equals a losing mentality when you're running on first down instead of passing. Because this is a league now where the pass sets up the run. You get a seven yard gain out of a slant or something like that. You run it up the middle for three yards. That moves the chains. Not 1980s where you run and then you pass it. I'm sorry, that is just the way it is now. And as Patrick Graham said, adapt or die. Giants offense looks like it's dying. And unfortunately, Jason Garrett is taking Kenny Galladay, Daniel Jones, Evan Ingram, and all these other guys down with him. Once again, I'm going to apologize here for being such a dubby downer. But some things just have to be said. And what I'm saying about the offense, it's not like it's lies. Anyway, Danny Shelton always gets a stock down. This man, 
looks like an overweight turtle. He looks like an overweight turtle. I would rather have a rhinoceros or a lazy-ass hippo, hungry, hungry hippos at defensive tackle than Danny Schoen. This man literally is double-teamed. And, you know, he's double-teamed not because of it's Danny Shelton, but because he's 350, 360 pounds. You're expected to do something if you're 350, 360 in the interior of a defensive line. Whether you get double-teamed or not, you're still expected to make a play because you're, you supposedly have strength. Danny Shelton, I don't think, has strength. I think he's an overweight, overweight turtle. Notes. Going into the bye, you have to feel good. Thomas, Shep, and Saquon to return. Shep, that's a question because he got hurt on Monday Night Football. So they said two to three weeks. So that's the Raiders, that's the bye, that's the Bucks. if it's three weeks. And he has a quad injury, so God knows what pain Sterling Shepard is feeling. But also, he's injury-prone, so you have to take it seriously, as you would any other injury. But the problem is, Sterling Shepard has had so many of these injuries before. And, I don't know, the Giants hopefully will get him back on Monday Night Football, along with Saquon, along with Andrew Thomas. Jason Garrett is still a bad play caller. First, that should be gone if things go right. That won't happen. But that's been an ambition of mine for a while. Giants should fire Jason Garrett. Nothing more to be said. And I understand there's a lot of questions about continuity. Freddie Kitchens was a play caller. He was an offensive coordinator in Cleveland. He was a bad head coach. Doesn't mean he's a bad offensive coordinator. Hell, they took more deep shots last year with Colt McCoy than they did Daniel Jones in any other given game. Daniel Jones, just 110 passing yards. That's, once again, what I said a couple of minutes ago. It's him, but it's also the game plan set up for failure. Patrick Graham is adjusting, has given the offense time and chances to win. That's not the philosophy that the Giants should be going off of. And I'm not blaming Patrick Graham. But once again, this isn't the 1980s, 1990s anymore where the defense ultimately wins championships. In the NFL, that has changed. Some of these teams that win championships, they adjust midseason and then get better on defense. Sometimes they'll give up God knows how many points to start the year, which is a little actual foreshadow for for, uh, Saturday's episode. But you see these teams across the league, Titans, Packers, Cardinals, these other teams, Bucks, the Rams, they had horrible defenses to start the year, exclude the Cardinals. They had horrible defenses to start the year, not great defenses. What has every defensive coordinator on those teams done so that their defense isn't horrible, but it's not playing top 10, they've adjusted. So once again, it's the philosophy. It's not just a game plan. It's not just execution. It's a philosophy, and the Giants are stuck in a time warp. They're still in the Mandalorian. 
Um, let's see what else. Joe Judge did not commit genocide with timeouts. He called, what, one timeout during the game, I think. And it wasn't bad timing. It wasn't bad timing. It's not like, oh, with touchdown, this, that, and the other thing. But he did not commit genocide with timeouts, which means the Giants did not put themselves, in my opinion, in a situation where they had to use timeouts and then, oops, there's no timeouts there. Expectations. Let's talk about this. This is really post-buy stuff, but once again, Joe Judge gets another year with the coaching staff. If the team is 6-11, and 7-10, 8-9, and 10, eight and nine, in my opinion, Joe Judge stays with his coaching staff, Jason Garrett included. This team has played hard in games. You minus the Cowboy game, minus the Bronco game, you minus the Rams game. The team has played hard under him. That's something you can't take away from Joe Judge. You could rip him for being conservative, whatever. That's something you can't take away. This team has played very competitively. And they played up to par at times against the Chiefs. Could have won that game, but the offense, once again, the defense played up to par. The Raider game, we won that game. But the defense played extremely hard. But the offense didn't execute. And I'm not trying to create moral victories here. I am not the biggest fan of moral victories when you should be winning. That's for rebuilding teams. But with that being said, though, that's something you can't take away from Joe Judge. Team win total can be between... Three and seven plus for 2021. We'll talk about that in just a second because that will likely be the end of the episode. But Dave Gettleman's job is not guaranteed. However, an over 500 record will give him another year. If it's under 500, I believe that he's going to be gone. But something to look for, in my honest opinion, is if they do go over. 500, 9 and 8, 10 and 7, whatever the case may be, he may retire or they may force him to retire and Kevin Abrams will become the GM. Because I don't see if Dave Gettleman retires and the Giants have like a 9 and 8, 10 and 7 record, I don't see John Mara saying, hey, let's get another GM that's outside the building. No, they'll stick to Abrams. That's just the way John Mara thinks. So let's talk about the upcoming games. Let's talk about the games. In my personal opinion, you guys can disagree with me all you want. That's why, you know, people are not built like clones because they think differently. All these games are winnable. You heard me. All these games are winnable. It's just whether the Giants will be on the finish line or the other teams on the finish line. They have played extremely competitively. And, once again, not for moral victories. But if, I'm saying what if, again, because there's a lot of what ifs with this team. But if the Giants are a little more aggressive, they can squeeze out these games. And don't think it's not all conservative by accident. This, these things are the game plan. Because Joe Judge has the defense 
set up to win the game, not the offense. Now, obviously, a win is a team win. But that being said, though, the defense, a large portion of last year and this year, has won the games, not the offense. And that is not by accident. That's on purpose. But with that being said, all these games are winnable. Now, if I was to predict me personally, I don't think the Giants are winning all these games because something will kick in or the team is just better than the Giants and has been better than the Giants. And most of these teams, or at least a good portion of these teams, are better than the Giants. That being said, though, we've beat some teams that are better than us. The Saints with Jameis Winston, obviously now it's Trevor Simeon, the Saints with Jameis Winston were better than the Giants. Coming into that game. The Sam Darnold Panthers, I don't think they were better than us. But obviously coming into that week, they may have been better than us. The Raiders. I think the Raiders are still going to make a run of things. I don't think they'll be Super Bowl champions. That would be awesome because that would clear a lot of the controversy that they had faced this season. But, with that being said though, to clear it up finally, and we'll talk about it, these games are winnable. These games are winnable. No matter if they're better than us, not better than us, same level. So, in my personal opinion, the Giants, if I'm being real here, their height is 8-9 and nine at this point. Their height is 8-9. and nine, And that's personally what I have them at. It's not impossible. Now, you could call me a hopeful fan, whatever. Here are the games that I think they can win and will win. The Eagle game that I'm going to. They have started running the ball more than they did in the first half of the season. Which is something the Giants have to watch out for. But they've been good in terms of defending the run. But also, Jalen Hurts, being a running quarterback. Kind of the dollar store Lamar. And I'm not trying to downgrade Jalen Hurts. But Jalen Hurts. But I don't know why I said Jalen Hurts. I'm not trying to downgrade Hurts, but Lamar is on another level. And his team is better. So, with that being said, though, Giants, I think, are better than the Eagles and will beat them at home. I think in Miami, I think the Giants are going to win that one. It's not going to be a blowout. I think the Giants will make it closer than it has to be. But with that being said, Miami's not a good team. They have, what, two wins on the season? One against... The Texans won against the Dolph- uh, the Dolphins. I'm an idiot. Won against the Patriots, maybe? Those are not good teams. Yeah, the Patriots are, what, 5-4. and four. All their wins are against garbage teams. Sam Darnold, the Jets twice. Not good teams. Not good teams. Look at Dallas. They didn't play well against the Broncos. They didn't play well. They laid down and died. However, I think the Giants can win that game with the way they're playing now. Because even though it wasn't, you know, Dak last year when the Giants beat the Cowboys at home, even with the high-powered offense and the way the defense has adjusted, that will put the game in the offense's hands. Will they execute? We'll see on December the 19th. However, I think the Giants can win that game because 
They held Patrick Mahomes to how many yards, and he turned over the ball once, almost a couple of times. They forced a lot of turnovers on Derek Carr. I think they could do it on Dak. It's not impossible. I definitely think the Giants can beat Chicago, which is the day after New Year's, in Chicago. Now, I've been saying that for three years now, and they still haven't done it ever since that game at home in 2018. I've said it for the past two years, you know, oh, the Giants can beat the Bears. Hasn't happened. Mitch Trubisky at the helm, no less. But I think if the Giants rain a lot of pressure, my personal opinion, on Justin Fields, and they slow down the running game, they slow down Allen Robinson, they do all these sorts of things, they can make Matt Nagy look worse than he already looks, and that is on another level of mediocrity. Sorry, Bears fans, that's just what I think. And then I think they could beat Washington in the last week of the season, January 9th. If we played Washington right now, if we played them in Washington, it's a sweep. Washington looks nothing like what they were supposed to be, as do we. But the defense is on another level, up to a couple of levels due to adjustments. And pretty much the same team. Washington has, what, two wins on the season? One against the Giants. I don't know who else they beat. But with that being said, I think the Giants can beat Washington at home. It's going to be a split. Now, here are some other games that the Giants will likely lose, be favored to lose, but they can win. However, I do have them losing these games. Tampa Bay. They can play competitive like they did last year. Their defense is vulnerable. It's not as good as it was last year. I think last year it was overrated a bit in terms of just overall because the defense was extremely powerful against the run. In the past, it was like mid-tier. It's still mid-tier now. It really hasn't changed other than a couple injuries, whatever. However, with that being said, I think they are vulnerable. And that's a winnable game, but I don't think the Giants are going to win because I feel like the offense will be put in a position to win, but they won't do it. The second game is against Los Angeles Chargers. Once again, another winnable game. They play down to the wire with the Eagles out of all teams. I don't think that they're in a position to make a run and go to the Super Bowl yet. They will be that team in the future. Brandon Staley has been the best rookie head coach so far. Justin Herbert, he's doing the best he can. The O-line has been, from what I understand, doing good. Coming up to the expectations. Rashawn Slater, Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer, Ode Abushi, and Brian Balaga. I think he's on IR, so they might have another right tackle. But with that being said, though, they play down to the wire against many teams that are below them. The Eagles, they could have won the Cowboy game, but they didn't. And there's a couple other games on their schedule, their past schedule, the last couple of games, you could say, oh, well, they play down the competition. That, in my opinion, is kind of like what the Giants can do against them, like they did against the Raiders, the Giants. So that's a winnable game. I don't think they will win, but we'll see. The other game is the Eagle game. The Giants always have trouble in Philly. And if the Giants were a better team, if they were coming into the bye week 
with a over 500 record, I could say, okay, well, you know, the Giants are going to sweep Philly and beat them in Philly. I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's happening. Um, if I'm making the correct calculations, I, I didn't. But with that being said, the Giants always have some sort of unmitigated trouble in Philly. And if the Giants were a better team, once again, I would say that they would sweep them. They're not doing that. They're not doing that this year. If they do, I will be screaming happy. I think the Giants would, at that point, either be tied or in the lead all time in terms of a record. But you know what? It's not happening this year. So 8-9 and nine is what I have the Giants finishing at. They could definitely go above 8-9. and nine. They could definitely go below 8-9. and nine. They could sweep or get swept for all we know. So we'll see. If you guys haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or your drops. Has this been over an hour? Okay, it's pretty damn close to over an hour. If it has been over an hour, I apologize for keeping you this long, but just some nuggets that I really wanted to get out. Look forward to Saturday's podcast episode because I'm going to try to get a content creator on A and B. We're going to talk about philosophies and what the Giants' current philosophy is compared to other teams as well. So with that being said, guys, peace out. See you later. Stay cool.